Life is hard. Life with chronic, critical, and complex health concerns is even harder. We all know someone who is struggling with health issues or disability. It might even be you. And in the pain and suffering, we wonder if it's possible to move from surviving to thriving. We struggle to hope, struggle to persevere, struggle to trust that God knows what he's doing. But in the struggle, there is real hope, and it's possible to be rooted and ready to weather the storm. Welcome to the Bluestem Project Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Hello, and welcome to the Bluestem Project Podcast. We are husband and wife team Brandon and Amy Smith. The Bluestem Project exists to equip and encourage you in the suffering, hardships, and trials of life that come with health issues and disability. We do this by helping root you in Christ and by giving you the tools you need to be ready for life's greatest obstacles. Amy has this episode off while I interview my friend Bruce Nelson on gratitude and suffering. Bruce has a Master's of Divinity and a Doctor of Ministry from Bethel Seminary in St. Paul. And after 37 years in the pastorate, Bruce has been a hospital chaplain for the last seven years. Day-to-day, his job brings him in close contact with people struggling with medical hardship and struggling to make sense of it, and also struggling to endure it. Among the many remedies for these struggles, he's noticed the power and importance of gratitude. I think I speak for the human race uh, when I say that it can be a real struggle to embrace and practice gratitude uh, when times are tough. So we are very fortunate to have Bruce on the show as a guide and encourager in gratitude. How are you today, brother? Brandon, I'm, I'm doing well. It's uh, beautiful outside. It's a great time of year, and uh, we're doing well. And by the way, uh, I just about a year ago, I retired, so it's kind of past tense, my sure. hospital chaplaincy. But uh, And I enjoyed my hospital chaplaincy, and we are certainly enjoying retirement. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, tell, me, tell us a little uh, bit about what your work was like uh, as a chaplain, Uh, and how you became a chaplain, what you loved about it. All right. If I go back to, uh, if I can, go way back to high school days, I was uh, graduated in the 60s and was thinking a lot about science and and found myself leaning toward medicine, wanting to uh, pursue some studies that might lead me into medicine. So those are my early thoughts in college. And then a couple things happened to... uh, kind of changed my course along the way. Uh, and that, that was the early and the untimely deaths of my dad and my good uh, buddy, Ross. My dad died uh, when he was 54. It was my freshman year of college. And then uh, my friend Ross died the next summer. And so I, I really began struggling with thinking about, you know, if I go into medicine, I can hopefully be of help to people uh, have a better quality of life for many more years, a few Mm -hmm. more years, but what about eternity? And I was thinking about eternity, uh, having experienced what I did with dad and with Ross. And and so I'll, I'll often say to people, You know, I was thinking about medicine, and then there were these two early untimely deaths. And, oh, yes, there was also organic chemistry. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) And I I found that I struggled with some of the sciences that are are necessary to pursue oh. that but oh i did i did too man <laughs> i that organic chemistry was the, the worst times in my college career so i i hear you there so uh, you know i i started thinking about the possibility of of doing some bible study and and i went into seminary and 
and eventually into pastoral ministry. Although even in those early years and beyond in pastoral ministry, I still struggled with thoughts of medicine, hmm. wondering what it would be like to be working as a doc in, in one of the hospitals where I would visit patients and so on. I did have the opportunity in seminary to take a session of CPE, which is uh, clinical pastoral education, where hmm. you actually get to do some uh, ministry in a hospital setting with people that are uh, finding themselves in the hospital. And, uh, and I went on then and pastored in five different settings, and I loved the people. I loved... Uh, being involved in in good news and the sharing of good news, I love preaching. I really enjoyed uh, counseling and dealing with people, being with people in challenging times. And uh, during uh, one of my last pastoral stints, I had an opportunity to work part time in a hospital uh, and also to take another unit of of CPE. And then uh, during my last pastoral involvement, which ended up being an 18-month interim ministry, and I was by that time I was in my early 60s, I, uh, the opportunity came up to serve as a chaplain in a hospital setting. And so I was splitting some time between interim pastoral ministry and serving part-time as a hospital chaplain. And then that led to full-time service uh, here in, in Fargo at the Sanford Hospital. And I spent the last seven years uh, doing that. And then, as I said, I retired uh, just about a year ago now. I think, Brandon, I think you asked uh, what did I love about uh, yeah. being a chaplain. Yeah, what, what kind of pulled at your heartstrings that you said, this is, yeah. this is what I... In- Enjoy, and maybe it's not always enjoyment, but a sense of meaning and purpose to say, I, I, I want to do this. Well, you know, the enjoyment part has, is people. It's people. It's patients. It's their family members. It's uh, staff, hosp- uh, doctors and nurses and other uh, caregivers in the setting. And, and the enjoyable part is being with people at a time, and I'm thinking now of the patients who come into the hospital and their family members, being with them at a time that at the least is a time of inconvenience and a a real interruption in their lives. And often it's a time of suffering and and stress and, and a lot of uncertainty. Where are we going from here? What lies ahead? I loved hearing people's stories. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. got a story, right? Yeah. Everybody's got a story. Sometimes it's fascinating. Oftentimes it's mundane. It's, it's joyful. It's sad. It's full of life with all its ups and all of its downs. So I loved listening and learning from people, appreciating and uh, valuing lives and and life itself, learning more about the incredible value and the wonder and the mystery and the promise of eternity. You know, it it says, 
believe it's it's either in Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. I think it's Ecclesiastes where it says, God has put eternity in our yeah. hearts. Yep. God has yep. put eternity in our hearts. I love being able to be present with people in significant times in their lives. I really enjoyed being able to be there in the name of Jesus, who, who yeah. is love and who is good news. And I guess I also appreciate the fact that God has come into the darkness of the world and he's come for, for hurting people, for needy people. Mm-hmm. So a lot to love about that kind of yeah. involvement and being yeah. able to be there in those circumstances. Well, I remember even when I first met you and got to know your personality and knew what you did, that you were a, a chaplain at the hospital, I very quickly goes, oh, he'll be really, he'll be really good at that. <laughs> or, you know, that that's, a, that's a good fit. And it's cool to hear your story, yeah. how you, yeah. you had desires and thought about medicine early, yeah. uh, went to the pastor, but the Lord kind of brought you full circle and allowed you to... Yeah. To be in the hospital, yeah, which you yeah. had, which you had desires for forty yeah. years earlier. That was a that so was a gift. That's really awesome. I tell you what, uh, I knew we were coming today to talk about gratitude and to hear you on gratitude, and even thinking about it the last couple days, the power of gratitude has been good for me to realize, man. There are times I lack gratitude, and I don't think it, it doesn't help my countenance, my soul, my heart. So I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward uh, to hearing what you have to say. Um, would, you, yeah, would you tell us just a little bit more about the power and importance of gratitude as you've yeah, seen it in your, in your ministry in life? You know, Brandon, as I've dealt with people who've, who've lost someone precious to them, I've sought to uh, listen and to hear and to feel their pain and their anguish. And, and the loss can be the loss of, of a loved one who's died. It can also be the loss of one's health, the loss, yeah. Of, yeah. loss of one's future. And, uh, but when I've dealt with people who've lost a loved one, I've, I've found myself suggesting that they consider sort of a strange thing that they consider how their deep aching might be somehow a catalyst to gratitude. Hmm. How grief can stimulate gratitude and even bring about some joy in the midst of sorrow. And, and so I might, I, I did find myself saying something like this to people who were in that circumstance. I'd say, you know, when you are aching, when you find yourself aching so deeply, consider that the reason you are hurting so is that you've had someone very, very special in your life and you hurt deeply in your loss. And it is a great loss because he or she was very, very special, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be awful? Wouldn't it be terrible if it didn't hurt? If it mm. didn't matter? If they didn't matter? Yeah. Wouldn't that be an awful thing? So, so maybe you can let the hurt, maybe you can let the grief nudge you towards some gratitude for someone so special. And I'd suggest that maybe in your genuine deep grief, you'll also find some gratitude rising up. And 
Then I'd often say, does that make sense? And uh, hmm. oftentimes people would say, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, even as they were hurting so much. Yeah, I, I don't know if I have thought about it or had actually anyone say to me, let the, let the pain and the depth of the pain be a, a director towards gratitude for the, the person that you loved or perhaps the health even that you did enjoy before now you, you know, had your uh, diagnosis or, or medical issues. So, so does That's, that make sense? It does make sense. <laughs> it, it powerfully makes yeah, sense, actually. Yeah, yeah. So when did you first start to see the significance between gratitude and suffering? You know, as I've thought about this, Brandon, um, I, I realized that years ago, may, I don't know, maybe it was back when I was in seminary, I don't know, a long time ago, I came across a book called Tracks of a Fellow Struggler by John Claypool. My understanding is that Claypool was a gifted Southern preacher and pastor. John's daughter, I think her name was Laura Lou. Uh, ended up suffering greatly and eventually died an agonizing death from leukemia. John writes that he had often been present with those who suffered and who suffered loss as a, as a pastor. Mm -hmm. But he writes, this was different. This was different. This was his little girl who he could not alleviate her pain. And he writes that he found that the religious answers that he had often shared with others and that people now were sharing with him, most of them really didn't help him that much. Things like maybe, well, you've just got to resign yourself completely to God's will. Or maybe, well, you just need to pray for peace and, and you'll have peace. Or... Or maybe even, uh, you know, God needed her in heaven. And, and so that's why she's gone. And talking and answers like that, he found, really didn't help him that much. But then John said the one thing, he wrote that the one thing that helped him the most in his grief was remembering what his mother had told him about the washer. It turns out they had been using, when he was a kid, his mother used an old ringer clothes washer. And I can remember that because I remember when I was a youngster, my mom used a ringer washer. Sure, sure. I, I can't even picture what you're talking about. So, <laughs> Well, you got to keep your hand out of that ringer, okay. you know. And uh, John would help his mom with the wash. And then... It turned out that their neighbor was called off to duty. I think it was in World War II. And he came over to them and he offered them the use of his new green Bendix washing machine. And, and he said, you know, it's probably going to be better for this washing machine to be used in your home than to sit idly in my home. And so they used that washing machine. They really appreciated it. And after four years away at war, he returned and then he came for his washer. And John found that he was feeling kind of resentful. He was kind of ticked off about this. He had come to really enjoy using that washer. And John said, I remember what my mother said to me. She said, now, instead of being upset, 
that the washer now needs to go back to its rightful owner, let's use this time as an occasion to give thanks for the time that we had to use it to enjoy it, even though it was never really ours to begin with. And John remembered that, and he found some relief in his grief as he gave thanks for the 13 years they had had Laura Lou in their lives, a gift from God. And so he found gratitude to be somewhat of a help in his grief. And then as I was working in chaplaincy and pondering this idea of grief and gratitude, I was skimming uh, the internet one day and I ran across a psychiatrist who was writing about this, and, and uh, he wrote about that unique connection between grief and gratitude, and he pointed to a, a, a classic Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life, and he talked about how the main character, and I don't remember the names right now, Brandon, but I've watched that, and I'll watch it sure, again, yeah, yeah. how the main character began to eventually came to the point of really appreciating the life that he thought he so needed to get beyond. And uh, and then again, just recently, in the last few weeks, I've been reading in something called the Mitford series that my wife got me into. And uh, one, one portion in there talks about a, a special occasion that got all messed up, got ruined by the weather, and the author or the character says, but isn't life a special occasion? And I thought, wow, I like that. Isn't life, isn't all of life a special occasion? And, and then, so I've got a number of things here, Brandon, that I'm thinking about yeah. that have uh, encouraged me in this thinking. Uh, a while back, I ran across a talk from a, I believe he's a monk, his name is Brother David Stendhal Rast, and he's talking about the desire that all of us have for happiness. And, and he's got a neat little 15, 16 minute talk, and he says in that talk, it's not happy people who are thankful, it's thankful people who are happy. Yeah. It, and, and I made a plaque the attitude out of that. Preceding the oh, you made a plaque out I, of it. Wow. I've got it. It's hanging right in my right in my oh, yeah. hallway, and I had it hanging in my office at the hospital. It's not happy people who are thankful. It's thankful people who are happy. And you can listen to that great little talk by uh, Brother David Stendel Rast. It's S-T-E-I-N-D-L-R-A-S-T. You can catch it on YouTube if you just go to his name and look up uh, happiness or gratitude. And then I've got to say one more thing, if yeah. I may. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the writings of Ann Voskamp have uh, been significant for me, um, and, and particularly her book called The Broken Way. And I, I first became interested in her as a writer as I read about her in the magazine Christianity Today. And based on that, I wrote some time ago for a blog in the hospital. I wrote that I wanted to hear from this intensely shy writer 
who is adamant that she will die in the same place where she was born, the farm in Canada where she lives with her husband and her children. It's the farm where her little sister tragically died when she was hit by a truck, and the farm from where her mother was often absent when she went to the psych wards trying to deal with the aftermath of that accident. It's the farm where Anne, when she was a teenager, she would often cut herself as she struggled with being bullied in school and with the death of her sister and with her own suicidal thoughts. These days, Anne Voskamp writes and blogs and speaks and travels and has the kind of outreach and influence that helped her raise a million dollars for refugees in just a matter of days doing this kind of thing, mm -hmm. some kind of a podcast, I would imagine. But uh, the author said, most importantly, she lives and ministers as a wife and mother back on the farm. And, and I guess I, I began to see the significance of grief and gratitude through some of these readings, through some of these people, and maybe also, and maybe most importantly, in listening to grateful, grieving people, hearing their stories of loss and of thanks and of hope. Yeah. That was really powerful when you said there are times that the, the answers aren't actually what are going to comfort you most. Sometimes people give pat answers. You know, you know they're yeah. not good ones. Yeah. But sometimes people give true answers, but that's not actually what you need in the moment. I mean, it's, it's a true answer to say, well, you are going to, you know, perhaps your, your child has died. Well, you, you're going to see them again in heaven. That could be a true answer to yeah. the situation, and it might not help at all. Might help down the road. You know, I, I recently was reading through Job again, and, uh, you know, his friends who came to help him, much of what they said was good stuff. It just didn't help. Yeah. It just didn't they help. Were, they were good they friends. they were accusing for, him, you know. And they were good friends for the first week when they just sat there and said yeah, nothing. Yeah, yeah. And, and were just there with him. Yeah. And it all yeah. went downhill. Yeah, it started to go downhill when they opened their, <laughs> when they opened their mouth. Um, but yeah, what, you know, you're spending so much time, you're a very well-educated uh, man. You've studied the scriptures and ministered the scriptures, you know, for your, all of your professional life, really. What, what passages of scripture or verses uh, have shaped how you think and practice gratitude? Some time ago, I, I put together a, a couple pages of verses that, that I found were helpful to me and helpful to Donna, helpful to us as we went through some challenging times. And uh, I'll, I'll just lift up a couple of those verses, if I may. Um, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. And, and as I lived with that verse and pondered that verse in the confusion and, and the uncertainty with which we were living, I found that if there's any place, any circumstance where I can afford to be humble, where I can be humble, 
it's under the mighty hand of God. If that's where I am, I can be humble there. And I think humble means in part not having to have all the answers, not having to have things my way or on my timetable. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And then the promise that he will lift you up in due time, in his time. And, and the, the awesome thought that we are cared for by the yeah. Almighty, you know. And that leads me to another verse uh, in 1 John 3, 1. Listen to this. How great is the love the Father has lavished, <laughs> has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. 1 John 3, 1. And, and this business about being cared for by God himself, I, I, I read a little writing from, a sample from Ann Voskamp. She writes, There is the truth. Blessed, lucky are those who cry. Blessed are those who are sad, who mourn, who feel the loss of what they love because they will be held by the one who loves them. There is a strange and aching happiness that only the hurting know, for they shall be held. And by God, we're the hurting beggars begging be close to the brokenhearted. Save the crushed in spirit. Somehow make suffering turn this evil against itself so that a greater life rises from the dark. God, somehow. I like the way Anne Voskamp writes. And, and you know, I, I'm reminded, I was sharing with uh, someone who had been in one of our churches and she lost her husband some time ago, and uh, he was such a such an incredible guy. I, I love that guy, and uh, he died, I think, in his early fifties. and And I ran into this widow in in one of the stores here in town, and I was talking about her and about how much I thought of her husband and how I was thinking about her and wondering how she was doing. And she said, "Bruce, you know what?" It's such a good thing to be held. Hmm. And she was talking about her experience of being held by the everlasting arms, you know, being held yeah. in, in the midst of, of all of that loss. And then uh, another verse that uh, a counselor that uh, we visited during a time of uncertainty in uh, professional uncertainty and wondering where we're going, this counselor lifted this up to us, and I share this all the time now. It's the kind of the tagger when I send an email and so on. It's Romans fifteen thirteen, and it says this: May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Romans fifteen thirteen. I I'm thankful. I'm thankful that He is the God of hope. I'm thankful that He can fill. Get that word. He can fill with all joy 
and peace and bring an overflowing hope. That's all his part. That's all his doing. I'm thankful that all I need to do is to trust in him. And even that, I think trusting involves letting God take care of even the puniness of my own trust, yeah. <laughs> of my own faith, which isn't all that great at times, but I'll, I'll trust him with that too. So it's, it's about him, and it's not about my great faith. It's about his great faithfulness and his care. And then what I, I, I... What, what, what I've I, noticed, you've, like where you've been taking this, is you've been pointing us to the goodness and greatness of God as the the object of our gratitude. You know, like we could have yeah. X, Y, or Z problem, but being able to turn our eyes, remembering and looking at here's who God is. He's yeah. lavished he's lavished his love on us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. adopted us into his in, into his family. And being able to in that place say thank you, Lord, for for that. Yeah. yeah. And and that, that becomes a very powerful thing. Yeah. 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 And you, and, look, look like you have something else. Well, well us, I, I just had verse. one more scripture here that I, I thought I'd share. Uh, many more, but this one. Um, uh, sec- and maybe this relates especially to why I enjoyed uh, chaplaincy. Second uh, Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And so I I think there comes to us the hope of not only of being held by God and helped by God, but also being able then to help others. And and again, I want to quote from uh, Ann Voskamp. She writes, This is what I know right then. The world is brokenhearted and full of suffering. And if you listen to what life needs instead of what you need from it, you could fill the brokenness with your own brokenhearted love, and this will in turn fill you. What if you were not afraid? Hmm. And so there's the opportunity to share what we've received with others. Yeah, that's powerful stuff. So Bruce, tell us, like, why do you think it is hard for people in general to be, to have gratitude? You know, specifically, yeah, maybe even as you noticed it in the hospital and people getting their diagnosis or walking through their illness or, yeah. You know, I I think it's, because of some things like disappointment, fear, anger, uncertainty, and doubt. Uh, there's a there's a passage that I found. I, I had early on when I first did chaplaincy years and years ago, and then more recently in these last years, I really enjoyed being able to share. On, on the mental health or the mental wellness unit or the psych ward, as some would say, and in, in small groups, in, hmm. s- in small groups. Uh, we had a, a spiritual wellness group. And, and one of the passages that I shared more often than, than any other is, is a 
an account from the Gospel of Mark in chapter 4. And it's uh, an account of when some of the guys, some of the disciples are out on a boat, and Jesus is in the boat with them. And uh, Jesus happens to be sleeping in, in part of the boat, and, uh, and a, a storm comes up. And it must have been quite a whopper. It was a, a terrible storm. And, um, and as I read through that passage, I, I thought about people who found themselves on the, on the mental health unit, or it could be the cancer ward or, or wherever, or the emergency room, and, and talking, thinking about what's it, what's it like to be in the midst of a storm? You know, when you end up in the hospital, sometimes it feels like you're in a storm, like you're in a life storm, and uh, it it can feel it can feel overwhelming. Yeah, chaotic. <laughs> yeah, chaotic is another good word. Chaotic and and overwhelming. And and what happened in that account? They were they were fearing for their lives, and and they offered. I I think they offered a prayer. No, I think they shouted a prayer. They went and they roused Jesus. They shook him and they said, don't you care if we drown? Wake up. Don't you care if we drown? Now that, that sounds kind of rude, but it's kind of realistic, isn't it? You know, and I, I think it... They were fearful. Uh, they were fearful. They were terrified. And I think it was a, a plea and a prayer. I would often say to people, there's... There's one really good basic prayer that, that you can say to God, and it it can be just one word. It's a good word. It's the word help. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And and so in the story, Jesus gets up and he, he speaks a word and calms the storm. And then at the end of the account it says, and then they were terrified. Now, I, I think what that's all about is they realized this wasn't Sunday school. This wasn't going to church. This wasn't some kind of what they may have thought of as puny religion. This was an incredible power. This was someone like no other. This was, uh, who was this? This was a savior. And I, I, I think fear was being replaced by awe as they were in his presence. And so that's from Mark chapter 4, thinking about what it is to be terrified and then what it is to stand in awe of one who can still the storms. And then a few years ago, I ran across a book, and it's written by a priest. Her name is Catherine Green McCrate. And the and this priest writes about her her ongoing longtime struggle with depression and or or with darkness. And the title of her book is "Darkness Is My Only Companion." Darkness is my only companion. And I found out she took that from verse eighteen of Psalm eighty-eight. Hmm. Listen to this. This is from Psalm eighty-eight. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles, 
and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. Verse 18. You have taken from me my you have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Or in another translation, darkness is my only companion. I think if you're in the midst of darkness, if you're in the storm, if you're in the dark, it's challenging to 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 be grateful. I think of the guy who said, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. So I think doubt can also be something. So I think in hard times, it's hard to believe at times. It's hard even to pray. And certainly it's hard to be grateful uh, when you're in the midst of it all. Yeah, which it brings you back to what you said at the beginning about how you enjoyed and would kind of walk through encouraging people towards gratitude is it and that's a very real thing like we need people to help point our eyes to the truth point us to christ point us to what uh, is good and beneficial you know for us and oftentimes that is gratitude because we're not going to be able to really do it on our own yeah Yeah. we need a a brother or a sister (laughs) to come alongside and help and, and help us do what seems in the moment too hard for us to do. Or maybe seem, it doesn't seem right for us to do it in the moment. But a, clear, a, you know, a clear-minded, loving, wise friend can often direct I, us through the negative emotions we're feeling towards what is best. But I, I think it has to be done appropriately and in the right time. And I, I think, uh, I, I hope I practice listening before speaking listening to hear what people's stories are, to hear where they're coming from, and then out of the context of what's going on in their lives, then to to speak to them. So how have you seen a lack of gratitude hinder individuals? I'm, I'm sure you probably have a lot of stories from your time as a pastor and then as a chaplain where you probably wish this person could just move towards gratitude for, the, for their own benefit even. Um. Yeah, in some ways, I'm, I'm a little troubled with that question because I, I would not want a hurting person to have to, add, to have to add the guilt of not being grateful onto the weight of everything else they're carrying. Uh, so That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah so, so I, would, I would not suggest to a hurting person that not being grateful is a part of their problem. I, I don't want to. I don't want to weigh them down with something even more. And yet, and yet, living in doubt or anger or pain or fear is is a reality. And I I suppose it is a hindrance. It certainly is a hindrance. A hindrance to what? It's a it's a hindrance to to peace. It's a hindrance to happiness to joy, to moving on in life, to productivity in living. And so I suppose uh, it's a lack of perspective, of the perspective of faith that hinders us from the gratitude that can lead to hope and to a fuller life. 
and and God is the one who ultimately gives us the gift of faith. So I think very certainly uh, not being grateful can hinder us, and it's uh, if we can find uh, gentle ways to move people toward that, caring ways to move people toward that, uh, and 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 sometimes Brandon, I think just just being there and listening to someone is is a certainly a caring thing and maybe they'll if for nothing else maybe they'll be grateful for the fact that someone is is taking time and listening yeah i think that bruce that is a great point that it takes a degree of wisdom and insight and love to notice is it wise to even you know maybe ask or move this person or encourage them towards gratitude and sometimes it's not the it's not the the best thing in the moment to do sometimes it's best just to listen sometimes it's just best just to be there yeah it's best to be quiet and Um, the time will come for that yeah 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 could you could you share with us a a story or two from the hospital of how you saw gratitude transform someone's suffering experience you know i i remember uh sharing with a young man and by that I mean I think he was in his late 20s, early 30s, a young man who was very ill with cancer. And I remember how he told me one day as we were visiting that he no longer spent much time at all being concerned about the things that used to bother him a great deal. And he said, you know, they, they, don't, they don't even matter anymore. And, and he talked about how much he valued each and every day. I, I think he was finding some gratitude emerging out of his suffering and out of his grief. And he actually said something that startled me. He said, you know, in a sense, I wish everyone could have cancer if it would bring them to the point where I find myself now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, he was saying, this is, I, I'm really grateful that I see life in a, in a better perspective and a bigger perspective than I did in the past. And, and then I guess I learned some lessons um, in working in and learning about uh, palliative care, which uh, a lot of people are familiar with hospice care. Palliative care is something akin, but not the same as hospice. It's it's longer, often longer duration, and it's helping people live with life-limiting conditions that uh, may affect them for months or for years and years. But uh, in, in learning about palliative care and administering in a palliative care setting, we found that people's questions began to change. Patients who were in care began to change from Questions like, I wonder if I'm going to get better. I wonder when I'm going to get better. To other things like, I want to tell my people that I love them. Hmm. I want to do a better job of telling people that I love them. I wonder how I can mend some relationships that aren't quite what they should be. Dr. Ira Bayak has written a book called The Four Things That Matter Most. And he talks about four simple phrases that can mend and nurture relationships, thinking especially about uh, 
suffering uh, times and end of life times possibly. And he says they, these phrases are, please forgive me. I forgive you. Thank you. And I love you. Hmm. And uh, those are, are uh, people gaining, I think, uh, a bigger perspective. And then I guess um, gratitude, you asked about gratitude transforming someone's suffering experience. I guess I've learned, I've seen that from patients and families smiling and laughing as they reflect on the goodness and the gift of their lives together. Hmm. I remember, Brandon, one night, I remember being in a room, a hospital room, and I think there were maybe 15 people in that room, and they were there around the bed of their mom and grandma who had just died. And these were people of a, of a different Christian faith tradition than I come from, and maybe a different type of lifestyle than I come from, but uh, I was there with them, and we were, I was listening to them, and they were remembering, they were talking about the trouble they had gotten into as, as young people, and I don't know what they were doing, but they were evidently getting into all kinds of trouble, and they said, and I can remember hiding under the table from mom because I knew she would really be looking for me and she'd <laughs> really be ticked. And, and they were talking about that, and they were laughing and remembering and appreciating and giving thanks, and I was standing there listening to them, remembering their mom and what she had meant in their lives and hearing about them getting into trouble and all of a sudden I said to them, wow, I better pray for you guys. And it was silent for a moment, and then we all broke out in laughter together as we shared together about the life of getting into trouble as kids and the life of having a loving mom and, and now remembering her together. I remember another, again, it was a mom and a grandma who was in palliative care for a long, long time, and she was dying, and she had been a musician. She had played in church. She had played the organ and probably led the choir and all kinds of stuff, and boy, around her bed, there was all kinds of music that was being sung, and some of the good old hymns that uh, uh, she had played and led, and, and family gathered around her and sang to her and sang with her, during those times. So I've, I've certainly seen gratitude rising up even in the midst of uh, times of grief. Yeah, that's really powerful. And you've, you've shared a number of, you know, I, I can see we've, you know, I've gleaned a number of tips or advice for how, you know, we can encourage a, a sufferer towards uh, gratitude and incorporating gratitude into my own life. Is there anything else that you would kind of say it could be a, a, I don't know if I want to call it a tip or a pointer, although I already did, um, but a, a help. Like like how can how can friends and family uh, gently encourage a sufferer towards gratitude? I think the key word there, Brandon, is gently. I think we need to, uh, if if we want to do that, we need to listen to the suffering and the pain that people are going through. Maybe, maybe their anger, maybe their doubt. Listen without any judgment. Listen 
listen, listen, and then if and when it's appropriate, maybe ask the patient or the family member to share some of the good times that they recall. The, what, what did you enjoy mm-hmm. in, in, your, uh, in your earlier life? What did your, your loved one who's, who has died or who is very, very ill, what did, what, did, what did they enjoy? What did you enjoy together? And then again, listen as they hopefully began to recall some of the good times and, and maybe again start feeling some gratitude for the gift of life that they have shared together. Yeah, yeah. Some simple questions. That's powerful. That like that that does that seem so wise. What what are some some things you remember that were yet you're grateful for or that are powerful? And it gives them the chance to if if they want to answer, they can. And if they don't, you know, they don't have to, but you've given them the opportunity. Yeah. 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 And and then I think of course with with permission from people when appropriate, share some truths from God, from his word. Truths about his love, about his care, about his acquaintance with suffering. He knows what it's like. Mm -hmm. About his nearness, about his gifts of life. And oftentimes I would talk to people about life with capital letters, capital L-I-F-E, like eternal life, Mm -hmm. his gift of life eternal. And again... um, Encourage, gently encourage a sufferer toward gratitude. Uh, Let me read this from, uh, I'd like to read this again from Ann Voskamp, and I quote, Is there a grace that can bury the fear that your faith isn't big enough and your faults are too many? A grace that washes your dirty wounds and wounds the devil's lies? A grace that embraces you before you prove anything and after you've done everything wrong. A grace that holds you when everything is breaking down and falling apart and whispers that everything is somehow breaking free and falling together. I'd like to read that several more times, but thanks for letting me read yeah, that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's can we close just with this, Bruce? And you have such a, a tender heart and uh, a sensitivity to the needs and the suffering of people. Certainly, some of our listeners are experiencing real pain and hardship right now. What would you say, just as a way of closing, to encourage them in this moment? You know, I'm, I'm a bit hesitant because I would like to be able to listen to them first. Mm-hmm. I'd like to, if it were possible, I'd like to be able to give them the gift of my attention, the gift of my ears and, and caring so I could hear their story, so I could hear their pain, their questions. Because often being listened to in and of itself is a real encouragement. So I, I would encourage people to, to uh, 
hope for and pray for to avail themselves of, of someone who will listen to them. So listen to them and then, and then maybe encourage them based on, on what I've heard from them. Mm-hmm. And if they are open to it, and, and I would hope they would be, I'd like to offer a prayer for them. And I'd like to, uh, to maybe as we close, uh, share this great prayer from the Psalms. And it's, it's from Psalm 139. I'm not going to read all the verses, but a number of them. Psalm 139, a prayer. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Then down to verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And then down to the last two verses of Psalm 139, and I I pray this often and encourage others to pray it too. Search me, O God, and know my heart. I think that's asking God to check me out, inviting God to check me out to the very depths of my being. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Certainly I have those, God. See if there's any offensive way in me. And you know, God, oftentimes I don't understand even my own motives. I don't understand totally where I'm coming from. So again, I invite you in to check me out. Uh, See if there's any offensive, any wrongful way in me. And then lead me in the way everlasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, the way, the way everlasting, which includes lead me through these hard days and all the way to a glorious eternity. Amen? Amen, brother. Amen. 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 Bruce, it has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I knew you would be able to give us some great wisdom and guidance, and you've done that in spades. Uh, You've encouraged me, and I'm sure encouraged our listeners as well so it's been a pleasure and i'll probably you know we'll have to get you back on again sometime i think i think that would be well a joy as well thanks for the opportunity brandon you bet you bet blessing to you and to your wife and to your boys yeah appreciate that appreciate that well we want to thank you for listening to this episode of the blue stem project it has been a pleasure having you Again, we want to remind you that the Blue Stem Project exists to equip and encourage you in the suffering, hardships, and trials of life that come with health issues and disability. 
We do this by helping root you in Christ and by giving you the tools you need to be ready for life's greatest obstacles. I'd be honored to continue to take this journey with you, so please do hit the subscribe button and tell a friend or family member experiencing health issues and medical disability about the Blue Stem Project. Thank you.